Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Matthew Loveridge and today I'm joined by Jack Luke and we're going to round up some of the most exciting and interesting news stories from the last few weeks. Jack, let's kick off. We just had a very exciting Tour de France. We're not going to talk about that because we've covered that extensively in our podcast series. What was a big news story that moved the needle for you in the last few weeks? Well, to start things off, it's nothing to do with the launch. It's actually the opposite. It's the news that Rose, who are a very, very large German uh, online retailer who also produce their own bikes, they are pulling out of the UK market for their complete bikes. Now, this has nothing to do with the B word. Everybody automatically assumed that it was going to be to do with Brexit and import duties or something like that. But it was actually the other B word, which is stopping them from importing their bikes. And that is that in the UK, the law states that complete bikes, so that is bikes which are being sold built, the law dictates that the right-hand brake lever must control the front brake. Now, this is pretty much the opposite to pretty much everywhere else in the entire world, including most, in fact, all of the continental Europe. And for Rose in the past, they used to make absolutely all of their bikes um, one by one to order, essentially. And they were quite unique as a manufacturer in that they allowed riders to customise a huge amount of things on their bikes, which included, you know, everything from group sets to tyres to finishing kit. Now, while that was undoubtedly good for customers, it obviously increased overheads for Rose and internal changes where they are now moving to serial production, so essentially building all of their bikes exactly the same in big batches, means that accommodating 
the law in the UK, again, that front brake lever on the right hand is not possible. Or more specifically, it's not efficient to do so. And it's certainly not cost effective to be pulling bikes out of boxes and swapping around brakes. Now, if you've never done this job before, it is fairly simple, really. You know, even with hydraulic brakes, the majority of time, uh, sorry, hydraulic disc brakes, I should say, the majority of the time, all that's required is for you to swap over the hoses and at most normally just carry out a lever bleed, which isn't too onerous a task. But Rose doesn't have the luxury of knowing that its customers are savvy enough to be able to do this. And for them to actually accommodate it in a factory setting, when you're talking about making thousands upon thousands of bikes, it isn't particularly efficient. The problem is specifically because Rose is a direct sales company, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. If, if you're a, you know, a bike shop, and previously when I used to work in bike shops, we would occasionally get bikes in that were set up the opposite way around, so Euro style. And although it's a pain in the butt to change them, it isn't that big a deal really. And it doesn't add much more onto your typical PDI service, but because they're direct sale, because they're going through this serial production, it's just not possible to accommodate it. Now, this news actually came as a surprise to a lot of readers. And I have to say, I'd, I had heard in passing before that the law did dictate this rule, but I didn't know it was actually enshrined in law. You know, I thought it was more of a recommendation, but really they cannot legally sell bikes into the UK unless they have the brakes set up that way. Now, this is a really, it's a shame for consumers because Rose is one of our favourite brands. They consistently produce really well thought out, very good value for money bikes. Uh, they always score well in bike radar reviews. So it does come as a bit of a surprise that they would cut out what I imagine is a fairly significant portion of their market. But, you know, we're not seeing what's going on internally at Rose and we don't know the costs that would be involved with, you know, accommodating that change. So a surprising one, one that created a lot of stir on social media um, and was dubbed, I was very disappointed to say, not by myself, breaks it by many of our readers, which I thought was particularly funny. Am I right in thinking that the ambition for Rose is ultimately to return to the UK market? This isn't necessarily forever. Yes, they did give us a full statement, which was published in the story I wrote for Bike Radar. And they said that once they kind of come to the end of their internal transition, so moving to the serial production, they would like to do business in the UK again. But there's no time frame given and is it's more of a, uh, a want rather than a promise. So... It's possible, but if I was a brand like Rose, I would certainly be waiting till Brexit was concluded in some kind of way before I committed to going back into what is a fairly volatile market, especially if there's going to be a significant cost involved internally for them to accommodate the law. So yeah, a surprising one, but there you have it. Yeah, I, I have to admit, personally, I was really disappointed by that news. I've been the person who's reviewed several of the Roses that are featured on Bike Radar. I'm a big fan of the Pro SL, which has been their entry-level aluminium kind of endurance bike. I've tested at least three, four variants now. I've lost count, both rim brake and disc brake versions. It's always been one of the go-tos for value that goes head-to-head -head, um, competing with the likes of Canyon, who do the Endurace AL. Um, so to lose that really key contender at the budget end of the market, I think, is a is a crying shame and yeah hopefully they can sort it out anyway moving on let's talk about something weird so earlier this month 
early September, I think it was, uh, Basso Bikes, the Italian manufacturer, launched the Terra, that's with one R, gravel bike. This was a funny one because it's got an aluminium mainframe, but a carbon rear end, and Basso is calling this semi-suspension. There isn't actually a shock involved, but essentially the uh, carbon rear is joined to the aluminium front end via fixed pivots, and it's able to flex, creating effectively some rear-wheel travel. I think this is quite cool, a bit different. I like to see a bit of innovation in gravel bikes. Does this appeal to you, Jack? Oh, very much so. You know, it's, it's passive suspension would be a kind of trendy word you could use for it. There are no complicated moving parts, and I have little doubt that the system will give, yeah, a small degree of, of bump absorption, which will improve comfort, but also arguably traction. Um, but it's definitely worth uh, highlighting, Matthew, that it, it bears quite a resemblance to a similar system introduced by a major bike manufacturer earlier last year, do you not think? Yes, it does look a lot like the Cannondale system, which I think they call the Kingpin. Um, although, a key difference is that I think on Cannondale's bike, the whole thing is is uh, carbon, is that right? That is correct, yeah. So the entire bike on the Kingpin's, uh, unless... I don't think there's an alloy version of their... Um, someone will tell us if we've got that wrong. Yeah, someone will tell us, yeah, definitely. But, you know, it's, it's very similar, but I dare say the Basso might be a little bit more handsome, in my opinion. I rather yeah. like the Svelte alloy tubes, and there's one particularly nice one with, a, a like, a, a brushed finish. Uh, and as a very Instagram-compatible cyclist, how my bike looks is, of course, much more important than any technical performance. Yeah, it's very important. And also, we should point out that the Terra isn't going to be a particularly expensive bike. I think they're doing a SRAM Apex-equipped model for a little under £2,000 in the UK. So it's fairly competitive. Um, I think just generally, I like to applaud when manufacturers do something a bit weird and different. We saw it with the Ridley Canzo Fast that launched recently, which was an aero gravel bike. Not a first. There's been others. I think the 3T Explorer would probably lay claim to being the first one. But what was particularly weird about the Kanza was that it had this rear hub gear system. So effectively, you had a 1x12 group set, but then it was actually 1x2x12 because there was a two-speed hub gear at the rear. And again, it was just quite weird and different, a bit of left-field thinking applied to the discipline. I think gravel's been quite good for that sort of thing. We've seen a lot more... I, th I think the problem with road cycling, pure road bikes, is they're often quite hidebound by tradition. I mean, obviously, we've seen big progression with disc brakes and people experimenting with tubeless and stuff, but it's quite conservative overall as a niche, whereas gravel doesn't seem bound by any particular restrictions. It's also not bound by race rules. Yes, and it exists across a broad spectrum of what people would consider gravel, and the Basso, you argue, could argue, sits in the more extreme end of it, where this would be, I'm sure, very confident on single track, for example, where you know, here in the UK, gravel riding is not hundreds of miles of uh, gravel roads out in the Midwest. It is more like gnarly bridleways and little dabbling in single track here and there. So... Within that spectrum, it, yeah, it's interesting to see this amount of, of cool ideas coming out. One, I would say something that is frustratingly innovative about this bike is the fact that it comes with provisions to fit mudguards. Now, one of my great, and your, I dare say, Matthew, great uh, problems we often find with re review bikes is the lack of mudguard mounts and gravel bikes. Certainly, again, for here in the UK, have become a really popular option as do-it-all 
bikes. So even though this sits more at the extreme end of that spectrum, the fact you're seeing really cool tech, you know, put into a frame, but also with more practical considerations included is is really admirable in my eyes. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I think it's really funny. We get a lot of so-called like high performance gravel bikes, or they sometimes refer to as gravel race bikes, and they'll have lots of bosses to mount extra bottle cages because you're doing 12 hour rides in the desert and people will cover them in bike packing bags and stuff or anything cages on the fork but the idea that maybe you might want to not get water all over your feet and your bum while you're riding is just too radical for the discipline now i realize that mudguards don't necessarily work that well for genuine off-road riding because they don't like rattling around but like you say most the significant proportion of the gravel bikes out there are not being used for this kind of idealised gravel riding. They're used for a mixture of real-world on- and off-road riding. Yeah, I, and I just, I always like to applaud it when you see it. And yeah, it's, it's really, it's funny, isn't it? Because we all like the idea of us doing 200-mile gravel races out in the middle of nowhere. But really, who actually does that? Well, um, I certainly don't. Anyway, let's move on again. What have you been testing lately, Jack? What has excited you in the world of bikes? Well, way back in, what, March, maybe? Maybe April? Specialised launched its then-new Diverge. The Diverge is Specialised gravel bike, or is one of its main gravel bike, and this launch was notable in that it adopted the Future Shock 2.0. So the Future Shock is a suspension system which sits between the head tube and the cockpit. So rather than like a suspension fork, which suspends the bike below the head tube, the future shock suspends the rider or your, you know, your torso um, by allowing a, a degree of up and down movement at the, the cockpit. Um, now, I'm quite ashamed. In fact, I dare say embarrassed to say that I got that bike at the time of launch to do a video on it. And I promised in the video that I would be testing it with great haste. Well, life and lockdown got in the way. And that bike sat forlorn beneath my stairs because I am a spoiled member of the cycling media elite until the last two, three weeks where I finally, finally had a chance to get out on this bike. I have to say, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I don't want to give away anything, everything, but I rode the previous generation of the Diverge and I really liked it a lot. I thought it was a good, you know, racy gravel bike the future shock was very effective but the new one it takes things just a step further as i've probably mentioned on this podcast before i'm a big fan of the future shock which i have on the roubaix which i'm running as a long-termer um and i think it's been really interesting to kind of confront the idea of suspension on road bikes but are you generally converted to the idea of suspension on gravel bikes i guess Ooh, that's a hard question. I, I should preface this by saying that when I first saw the Future Shock, when it first introduced, I was enormously sceptical. I thought it seemed like complete nonsense. And in particular, when you compare it to something like the Gervin Flex um, of the 90s, which was you know universally derided, I thought the Future Shock couldn't really build on that. But having done some very long rides on it and some shorter, more gnarly stuff, it is, it is honestly so effective. It doesn't it doesn't give you that kind of ride-taming quality of a suspension fork. It doesn't necessarily make you faster over rougher terrain because the bike isn't conforming to the terrain. The suspension isn't making for a smoother ride. Instead, I find that for longer rides, it just helps to reduce fatigue on you 
which in effect will make you go faster because you're less tired. Um, it's it's not totally without its quirks. I've talked to Matthew about this previously, but for example, all the different steps between the most open and closed setting aren't that useful, I think, and a two-position or maybe three-position kind of setting would have been more useful, I think, but there may be very good engineering reasons for why they haven't done that. Um, but overall, the bike is a, a very nice package, Uh and I'm looking forward to writing the review and riding a little bit more over the next couple of weeks. I've been thoroughly enjoying it. Um, Sounds good. Just lastly, actually, you asked about suspension. Um, I'm due to get a, a proper suspension fork from TRP, I think it was. Is it TRP? No, SR Suntour, sorry. SR Suntour sending me their new budget-ish gravel suspension fork, which launched a few months ago. And I'm going to be testing that on my uh, Vitus Energy cyclocross bike which i reviewed last month uh, and i'm probably going to put that head to head against the diverge and a suspension fork to see you know they're definitely not a direct comparison but to see which is the most useful or where each of them shines so keep your eyes peeled for that hopefully in the near future <laughs> how about you young matthew what have you been up to i have recently reviewed the new vitus vitesse evo which is an interesting bike because so Vitus was a really storied historical brand back in the day of sort of the golden age of pro racing before everyone realized that everyone was doping all the time. Um, <laughs> and uh, that'll probably get cut out now, won't it? <laughs> nah, leave it. Um, but it's kind of been reborn and it was it became the in-house brand of chain reaction cycles and is now trying to establish itself as a kind of true standalone bike brand it doesn't like to see itself just as an in-house brand anymore and the vitesse evo is their kind of pure road race bike and it's the one that's being raced by the pro team that they sponsor which is vitus pro cycling powered by brother uk to use its full name um but Although this is a bike being raced by actual professional cyclists, it's reasonably affordable. There's a model that starts at £2,000 with Shimano 105. The one that I was reviewing has Shimano Altegra Di2 and nice Reynolds carbon wheels and is quite a bit more expensive. It's £3,700. Um, but it was interesting to be testing this right off the back of, for example, testing the brand new specialised Tarmac SL7, which was over £10,000. Um, and to be like, this is, you know, quite a significant proportion of the goodness for yeah. a heck of a lot less money. I'm not going to say it's as good as a specialised Tarmac because it isn't and it doesn't have the same R&D backing to it, the, the, you know, the extensive aerodynamic research and the optimization, and it's not as cleanly integrated as something like the Tarmac. The cable routing isn't as pretty, and it doesn't have the super fancy paint job that you get on a Tarmac. But taken on its own merits, very capable race bike, very stiff, very good for go-fast riding. So there's a lot yeah, to like and, there. And, you know, as a bike that most people could aspire to own and also will get nearly all of the performance out compared to something like the tarmac do you think the vitus makes a yeah a compelling option for the aspiring go fast racer i think definitely yes i'm we're in this kind of privileged position as a cycling journalist where we don't have to worry for example about the resale value of bikes because we're testing them and we're giving them back 
And there is no doubt that if you buy something like a Vetus at the moment, it's not going to hold its value in the way that something from a really big name like Specialized is going to because it just doesn't have the cachet as a brand. But if you just want an effective, really good bike, bikes like this are really worth considering. And that's why we always recommend on Bike Radar that you do consider things like this. Consider Vetus or consider like Canyon or Rose or or even go to more really budget-oriented companies like Planet X in the UK or Ribble Cycles who are now kind of establishing themselves with more distinctive bikes that are more distinctively their own but are still priced well below the kind of really big flagship stuff from brands like Trek and Specialized. Mm, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed your review. I, I do recommend if you're in the market for the bike, check out Matthew's review and his video on the YouTube channel, both of which were a thoroughly enjoyable watch. Um, before we move on to more tech news, Matthew, have you cooked any nice recipes this month? Anything tasty you'd like to share with the listeners? Well, our garden is overflowing with patty pan squashes, which are those round yellow things. Uh, and they essentially taste like courgettes. So I made a very nice tagliatelle with those all mushed up and the liquid squeezed out of them, which I was quite proud of, using uh, pasta cooking techniques that I acquired from extensive YouTube browsing. Ah, you? That's really good to know. How about yourself, uh, Well, um, culinary highlights from the last month, probably uh, I've made quite a good... Um, feta and spinach tart kind of a greek one i've got i've kind of perfected my recipe and i revisited that recently and it's been very delicious and um, this is all a segue to ask whether you'd like matthew and i to talk about recipes on bike radar so we can get in with our friends our fellow immediate brand good food and get ourselves some kind of like cycling bit on the youtube channel that'd be quite good fun matthew jack's just trying to work out if he can call in a bubbly water maker Oh, I'd love that. Yeah, fizzy water only in my cycling bottles. Anyway, rounding out our news from this month, we're only going to cover this very briefly because if you listen to our podcast last Friday, we went into it in more depth, but Campagnolo has just launched Ekar, which is its 13-speed, one-by-specific gravel group set, and it's a little bit mad. Matthew's been the man on the ground. Give us a very quick rundown of what's new. So, yeah, 13-speed mechanical group set made by Campag, storied Italian manufacturer. It's gravel-specific. It's got a clutch so your chain doesn't fall off. It is 100% one-by only. There is no front derailleur option. It's somewhat expensive, priced a little under £1,500 in the UK for a complete group set, but it's aiming to compete, uh, compete with an unseat Shimano GRX components which are gravel specific and SRAM's various group sets including the Force ETAP stuff for example and also their mechanical group sets which are starting to look a tiny bit long in the tooth because they haven't actually been updated for a while. I hope you realise how many people you will have just upset saying that it's uh, somewhat expensive at £1,500 but we should also add that RRP with all group set manufacturers regardless if it's SRAM or Campag or whoever never matches up in the real world. I guarantee that group set will not be sold by very many people at RRP. Um, I mean, as an Italian group set, Matthew, did you detect any passione, any flair in its use? One of the favourite cliches of any bike journalist? There were high levels of brio in the vicinity of the bike. But um, <laughs> we'll be bringing you a full review on bikeradar.com. But in the meantime, do check out our news coverage, uh, both on the website and on YouTube. To round things out, Jack, did you want to mention any mountain bike news, perhaps? Are we going to do that? 
Oh, Matthew, why not? I'm feeling generous. I will bring you some saucy mountain bike news. In fact, I dare say some spicy mountain bike news. And that is that Salsa Cycles has brought out a new enduro and all-mountain bike. Now, what is notable about this launch is that the bikes use the same front and rear triangles. Now, typically when you have different travel option bikes across a you know, mountain bike brand's range, you'll get different frame sets uh, you know, between each model. Now, Salsa does things slightly different, and he uses different suspension and pivot hardware to give between 140 and 165 millimetres of rear end travel. Now, if you want to kind of complete the, the change between the all-mountain and enduro guises, you will need to match that with a longer fork. But I just think it's interesting to see them using that same frame set, which by all accounts is pretty progressive. You know, it's got good long reach, a nice slack head angle, fairly steep seat angle to accomplish two quite distinct roles. It's just a really interesting thing. And, you know, if you are the type of rider that likes to flit between genres and you also so happen to have a long and short travel fork kicking around, well, this could be a good option. Um, I dare say as well, Salsa is not a brand which is particularly well known for value, but these bikes are fairly competitively priced at $2,099 for the aluminium frame set or $3,200 for the carbon frame set. Now, that's not cheap, right? We won't pretend, but it's certainly, you know, a little bit less than we've seen from Salsa in the past. Um, complete bikes as well start at $3,200 for the alloy bike. For the carbon bikes, you're talking more around $4,900 upwards. Just for the avoidance of doubt, I don't think you've actually named the bike models. <laughs> Oh, goodness, that's very embarrassing. Sorry, they are the Salsa Cassidy and the Salsa Blackthorn. Two lovely names for two very lovely looking bikes. If you want the full scoop from some actual dude Shreddingtons who still mountain bike, unlike me and Matthew, who have hung up our knee pads in favour of gravel Easter life, then head to bikegrader.com. We've got a full story from Alex Evans. Thank you very much, Jack. And I think that's all we've got time for. Thank you very much for listening. Please do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Uh, tell your friends. Comment on the article on the website because we love to get some actual feedback about these podcasts. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.